everybody to the Enneagram Journey Podcast with the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. Today's guest, you might recognize, she's a very special person, very special to, to me, and is my wife, Enneagram One, Whitney Russell Stabile. Today, she and Suzanne are going to talk a little bit about the Enneagram and, you know, her being a one, Suzanne being a two, me being a seven, and because this conversation was recorded live, they'll get to answer some of your questions, as well as talk about food, body image, and our relationships with food and with our body. Plug time real fast before we get to the conversation. It's almost here. Breaking the Cycle, a teaching event with Suzanne, the Reverend Stabile, and the Russ Hudson is just around the corner. It's August 5th through the 7th here in Dallas. There are tickets still available to join these brilliant people and LTM and myself, or you can register to join live online. Individuals that attend in Dallas will also have access to the digital replay. How can you break the cycle of the false self? What role does your Enneagram number play in both perpetuating the cycle and what tools and gifts do you already have on board to change the narrative and get back to your essence and to live a fuller life. You'll find links at theenneagramjourney.org, suzannestabile.com, and lifeinthetrinityministry.com for more information and registration. And now, Suzanne and Whitney. This is a recording of the Enneagram Journey podcast that I was just like, you know what? Y'all are comfortable people, and uh, let's just, let's just do, do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'll get out of the way. Okay, well, we'll start with that um, you said it was your fault first. And, of course, because I'm a two, I confessed first and said it was my fault. So I'm really working on not taking responsibility for things that are not my fault mm-hmm. in order to make other people feel better. Mm-hmm. And it's um, hard. And Joe and I decided to stop saying I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then we realized we say it 50 times a day. Oh, yeah. 50. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, because you've heard us do that, or oh, yeah, because you no. do that? <laughs> because I know that, and I know a lot of people that do that, or, like, apologize over and over and over. It's like, you can just apologize once, yep. and then we don't need to apologize anymore. Yeah. I think there's, like, jokes where you notice somebody that's apologizing too much because uh-huh. they, like, bump into the chair, and they apologize to the chair. <laughs> that's <good. laughs> It's gotten to be a really habitual thing, the apologizing too much. But but it's an awareness where I apologize for things that are not my fault in order to make the other person feel better. Mm-hmm. So Or just to squash it. Yeah. So today, though, was a real growth thing for me because I texted the a screenshot of him telling me the time and sent it back to him. Mm-hmm. I had already apologized. Right. I'd apologized, and then you said, no, it's, it's probably me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'd already said, like, I'd already gone back and look up, looked oh, it up. Well, when I said it's probably me, I hadn't looked it up yet. Oh, yeah. But I thought, if he's asking if he gave me the wrong time, he thinks it's him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I confirmed that I'm wrong before apologizing. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So I think it is filler. I think we're all kind of uncomfortable because we're, together a lot or not at all Mm -hmm. and i think it's just become filler like and you know how people say uh and then talk i say i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so i'm working on that that's my morning that's your morning yep what'd you do 
Um, I slept in a little bit and had a slower um, kind of start to my morning. So I ate breakfast and checked emails and things like that while he and the baby were still asleep. And then I took my shower and then I worked for a little bit more. And um, it's a weird kind of fluky day where I didn't have any sessions this morning. So I was able to be here and um, it's nice to have a little bit of a a break in the, the go, go, go. Joe and I have figured out that um, we have to make some significant changes. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about it really in these terms till last night and this morning. So, like, this is not a setup. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> like, this is a new thing. But we literally can't figure out food. Oh. We can't figure it out. We get it wrong five days out of seven. What do you mean you can't figure it out? What well, do you mean by wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like starting there. Uh, it might not be my fault after all. We, um, I'm finally mostly not cooking for six or eight. It's been a long time since mm-hmm. the kids have lived at home. Mm-hmm. That should be long over. Um, Hard to break that kind of habit. Man. And my mom, I, I feel terrible because I kind of have thought and told people that my mom got tired of cooking, so she started, like, overcooking everything and said she forgot how to cook, so we wouldn't want her to cook. <laughs> now, remember, I, I'm living in a town where there are no restaurants, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I fixed something last night. You know, I've been working on the books, so I'm... Joe's been cooking and doing everything, and I, I fixed something last night. I've been fixing since for I don't know forty years, and I overcooked it, and it was terrible. And I think that I want to ask you if there are times that have to do with aging and circumstance, as opposed to body image, mm-hmm. when people have to make, not have to, when people struggle to make good changes that will have to do with a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And we keep talking about it. Like we've talked about it ad nauseum. I don't even, and, but we're not accomplishing anything. We're just talking about it. Yeah. And talking. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's two separate questions or issues there. Or five. (laughs) The first, because I feel like I'll remember, um, going back but the first is why do you think that y'all are just talking about it and not doing it well we try something okay and then we talk about well that wasn't it (laughs) like we're not saying the same thing over we're just talking about the same topic Mm -hmm. about four times a week that's Mm -hmm. not an exaggeration yeah and there's uh with food insecurity everywhere there's enormous guilt yeah for us at least, around anything that you don't eat, that you buy, that you waste, that goes bad, like that all feels terrible. Yeah. I think there are two things that need to be addressed among many others during this time of the pandemic, and one is what is the bigger conversation about food insecurity and what do we do about that? And the other is what is the bigger question about relationships 
And what do we do about that? Because mm-hmm. people are really struggling in relationships. Yeah. And you got to have some tools to figure out both. And so that's kind of like the two things we do, mm-hmm. you and me. Mm-hmm. I think my response to feeling guilty about wasted food or food that I don't cook well or that Joe doesn't know how to cook or all that stuff, it, I, I think and I feel like the response to that is to just go back to the old way. Hmm. And then there's great disappointment there because that's not actually working either. Yeah. So what I hear you saying <laughs> is that you're doing a lot of doing and feeling but not a lot of thinking. Well, imagine that. <laughs> imagine that. Because that yes. feels very similar. Sorry, I just hit the microphone. That feels very similar to me because a lot thank, of times... Thank you for apologizing for that. I... <laughs> I'm only going to apologize once. (laughs) I, as a one, am doing and feeling and doing and feeling and doing and feeling all the time. And I get stuck in that I'll try the things and try the things and try the things. And I'm trying to, like, I talked to my therapist about this one time. I was like, I'm trying to find the perfect recipe and, like, prescription of things to do to make X, Y, Z work. That's exactly what I'm doing. And when I find myself doing that, what I have to tell myself is I don't need to do anything differently. Mm-hmm. I need to change the way I think about it. I need to change the way I think about the situation. This morning with tears in my eyes, literally, maybe because I just turned the book in yesterday, I'm a little tired. But this, I said, I've been eating my mother's spaghetti since I was a little girl, and I think I might be tired of it. <laughs> and he said, I'm kind of tired of it, too. And then, and then, you know, then there's all the stuff that goes with that. Yeah. So it just feels like the two things that are big everywhere, three, mm-hmm. money, food, relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's um, really hard to affect change in the, the pattern. Maybe. Yeah. Is it a pattern? Yeah. Well, I think it, the, the habitual doing without mm-hmm. getting anywhere, for sure, Um and, you know, you just kind of mentioned the guilt from food waste. And I'm sure there's, like, guilt over eating a certain type of food or, you know, all the guilt that comes after eating or while you're cooking or planning or, or you know, at any stage of the food process. You have to be able to find new beliefs that help you manage the guilt. And so sometimes the beliefs are, I'm going to have to be okay sometimes that I'm going to throw something away. Yeah. And like I can have compassion for myself that that's hard. And in order for me to have a healthy relationship with food, I have to be able to have grace with myself that sometimes that's going to happen. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've discovered, though, is that I didn't have much, I didn't take enough responsibility for wasted food prior to being constantly aware of food insecurity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a growing thing that won't go away Yeah. after all of this. It'll be maybe helpful. Yeah. And do you feel like you made kind of a hard swing to... Nothing, all or nothing. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And, and interestingly enough, uh, it's a double thing. I don't know if this is true for anybody else or not, but... It's a double thing because most of what we don't eat 
we bought already prepared mm-hmm. because we've never eaten already prepared food, either one of us in our whole lives. Yeah. So that's worse because it's more money. <laughs> more, 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 more. Yes. So a thing that I think is important to talk about here with the food food insecurity issue and the issues that you're having is that no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your body looks like, you have to figure out a relationship with food that works for you. Yeah. So having balance, variety, and moderation because those are those are kind of the pillars that I like to work with um, when talking to clients about food and intuitive eating and things like that. That looks different for you as opposed to who you were as a single mom yep. however many years ago. Yep. And that looks different to, you know, the family who the dad works three jobs, mom stays home, looks different. Versus, you know, my parents that live up in Frisco and have no children and <laughs> or they have children, but no children that live with yeah, them. Yeah. So everybody's relationship with food is going to look different, but that doesn't mean that it's unhealthy. It doesn't mean that it's wrong or bad, but they have to figure out what works for them kind of within the confines of like, all, that, all that. All that. So did you know that if you watch... Um, cable news. Is that what it's called? Sure. Is it called cable news? So, something's called cable news. We need to hear the rest of your sentence. <laughs> uh, well, there is a... I've done more of that because of all that's gone on mm-hmm. than I've ever done in my like life. network news? CNN, Fox? Yep, yep, that. Yeah, network news, that. I think. Okay. Well, I've done more of that than I have ever done mm-hmm. because of everything that's happening. And there is a, here's the pattern. The day starts with um, advertisements that have to do with children who don't have enough to eat and animals that are not safe and an older woman who falls down the stairs mm-hmm. and there's no help for her. Mm-hmm. And they play the same three topics with a little bit different thing for like a long time. And then they advertise food and then they advertise uh, dieting things. So Mm -hmm. you literally get to feel bad about yourself all day (laughs) and afraid because of what's happening in the world. Like it's a setup it feels to me like mm-hmm. to that plays into all of my um, stuff as a two. So the question then I want to ask is, do you think it plays into as a two who um, is, I, I don't know what the word is. Like I used to say I was overweight and then you and Joel got married. And now I don't say that anymore, <laughs> but now I just say I'm something. <laughs> So um, that is me, a, a two that is me, and does that play, because it's very effective with me, mm-hmm. is it effective with every number equally, and do you think that kind of routine 
um, works on everybody, or they would have figured that out by now. So I think that every number is affected by diet culture. Um, and I think there's like varying degrees and varying, like depending on the space of health that you're in, like how affected you are and the knowledge that you yeah, have and yeah. all that. There's so many different um, things at play there with why somebody is more affected by diet culture than another person. I think that, you know, the thing that you're talking about, the cycle that you're talking about is that our media and our culture has created this uh, scarcity mindset mm-hmm. about everything that you're never going to have enough mm-hmm. and you're never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And so here's all the things that are going to help you to feel enough and have enough, mm-hmm. but it's never enough. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's, that's why diets don't work and that's why diets are successful like the dieting industry is so successful because if it worked, you wouldn't have to be on it again, which means you wouldn't have to pay for it right, anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so I feel, I feel like that's and like that's like with the beauty industry and like they're secretly kind of making you feel like you are less than yeah, and so that you do. don't have what you need, mm-hmm. and that plays on all the Enneagram numbers yeah. messages. I'm bad. Yeah, I need to do something yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. So the response—it's just how you respond. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. So um, here's the thing: I think we need to do. Um, I'd like, if you're willing, this is probably not fair what I'm about to do, but I, I just Great. just say uh, I, I'm not sure this is fair. But I, if you have the time, or you may already have it done, feels like one of the things we need on our website is appropriate language. Okay. Like a, we need a glossary. A glossary, sure. I think we do. You glossary know, glossary of terms. One of the things that makes me a little crazy mm-hmm. is when I teach know your number all day, and somebody comes up to me and says, "Well, I'm a 10. <laughs> and like it. Do it, you really get that? Oh, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I really get that quite a bit, and it makes me want to hurt people that person in particular who's saying that Mm -hmm. because there is Enneagram vocabulary that you can't just play around with. Mm -hmm. You have to have the right vocabulary in order to do Enneagram work. And I'm really mindful of, and I've been trying to get my work on the new book finished so that I could really start to learn over here about appropriate culture Mm. for cultural difference and racial difference because I don't know the exact right language for that either and it makes me afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And when I hear you say diet culture, I think, I like that so much. And I hear you say other things and I think, I like that so much. But it's a vocabulary that is um, kind Mm. and respectful and non-hurtful and appropriate. And no matter who you are in everything I hear you say, it gives you a place to stand. Mm-hmm. But you have to know the, cult- the, the vocabulary yeah. to have that place. So that's why I'm asking if we can 
mm-hmm. work on that mm-hmm. so that people can, if the little things I do to change how I talk about myself because I get to hear you make a difference in how I feel about myself. Mm-hmm. And people don't have that language, so they don't get to do that. They don't get to have that better mm-hmm. feeling because none of the language that you use is uh, judgmental and none of the language that you use makes people feel bad. Yeah. And in fact, it has the opposite effect potentially on people that do. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I often talk about how like it's almost like people have diet culture glasses on and they like see the world through that. Mm-hmm. And like once you take them off, you you see the world in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Like once you know it, you can't not see it anymore. Just like the Enneagram. Just like the Enneagram. But the, the thing is, we are already allowed to not live in diet culture. We've just, like the four agreements, I talk about the four agreements mm-hmm. all the time. And one of, one of, you know, we through our life have just agreed with that and agreed with that and agreed with that mm-hmm. and agreed with that mm-hmm. in terms of beliefs and belief systems. And... How many of us, most of us, I don't know a percentage, obviously, but agreed with all of the different beliefs about diet culture and what our bodies are supposed to look like or not look like and the food we're supposed to eat or not eat. Like, we've just agreed with that along the way. And we can choose, just like the four agreement says, to not agree with those things anymore. So that's already possible for everyone. You just have to be able to see it in order to be able to leave it. Yes, and you have to be able to explain yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because f- for me, there's so many messages that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not I'm just not okay. And w- I got really tired a few weeks ago, and er- every, you know everything was just wrong, and I was crying all the time, and it was a hard time for Giuseppe. But um, I kept pointing out people on TV and saying I was never that size. Yeah. When I was four, I was not that size. And I was saying it like that, too. I was angry. <laughs> and you, you kind of have to live with the Enneagram for a while and walk in it to learn it and do it well. And I think that's got to be true for diet culture, too. Oh, yeah. And I just, you know, nobody, there are no commercials with people like you saying the things that you and the people your co-workers and the people that you work with mm-hmm. saying it's just not available information. Yeah. It would dismantle a whole industry. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Capitalists would not really like it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why maybe we can get that started right here. You all want to answer a question or two? That sure. Come? sure. Can I, before that, yes. I want to make one more comment and then we'll go. So I think a question that came to mind that I from hearing what you were talking about, like your experience and that I ask a lot of my clients is like what this ideal image that you have for yourself that you want, what does that mean to you? Like, what is that about? What is it really about? What are the unmet needs that you feel like you're are going to be met because you have this fantasy of like, if I get there, mm-hmm this is X, Y, and Z is going to happen to me or I'm going to have these things or I'm going to feel loved or I'm going to feel wanted Mm -hmm. or I'm going to feel whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the lost messages of childhood and things like that. 
Um, but that's a question that I really encourage people to ask themselves. Is like, what are you expecting to happen? And what does this ideal body really mean to you? It's not about the look. Yep. Because if you looked that way, you would still have all of these problems. Yep. Yep. Just like all of the women that I talked to that they've been so many different sizes throughout their lifetime and they have never been satisfied. And they're like, if I could just get back to how I was at mm-hmm. 25, you know, um, but I also remember at 25, I didn't like myself. So it's not about the number on the scale or the size of your clothes or what your body looks like. It's about your beliefs that you feel about what it means to be this and what you feel like you're going to get if you achieve it. Okay, so now i got three things to say. (laughs) And the first is I'd like for us, whenever it's right, we can kind of put it over here, talk about what happens when body size has to do with a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Because that's got to be a thing. Oh, yeah. It's a thing for me, so it's got to be a thing. Mm -hmm. The second is that, um, you know, after I had big back surgery, I lost a significant amount of weight. And somebody I love a lot, who's brutally honest, said, you are the most uncomfortable with weight loss of anybody. Significant meaning 20 pounds, not, you know, not 100 or mm-hmm. 50 or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this person who I love a lot, who loves me a lot, said, you are the most uncomfortable of anybody ever with weight loss. What is, what's happening there? Mm-hmm. And then she went back to Austin, and I thought about it for a long time. And it's tied to other things. Oh, yeah. So when Joe and I married, I uh, was doing social work, and I had three suits and five blouses and one pair of heels and maybe two things of casual clothes, and that was it. My mom was a really good dresser. And Joe, once we got to a point where we could... First of all, once it got to a place where there were good-looking clothes for women my size, which, you know, I'm 70. It, I, went, I, I, I lived through the moo-moo years where <laughs> there's not much to offer, right? <laughs> we were talking about moo-moos yeah, the other day. Yes, we were. Popping <laughs> up again. <laughs> so um, then there were, then Joe and I got to a place where I could afford to buy clothes that I think I look beautiful in that I really like. Mm -hmm. But they're not inexpensive. Yeah. So my answer to my friend ultimately was, it took me a long time to build the wardrobe I have, and I really like it. And I like how I look in it, and it's all too big right now. Mm. And that gave me a place that felt like a choice. Not a choice to, I'm going to gain 20 pounds, but a choice to not worry about that so much because I actually felt better over here Mm -hmm. than I did here, Mm -hmm. which opened a whole new bunch of questions for me. So there's all that. And then we can talk about trauma, but we can answer questions first. If you don't want to, it's your your gig. It's our show. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. When he's ever let both of us be in charge at the same time. In the room right now, I have the least amount of hand. I, I know that. I know, you know, talking about knowing place. Uh, 
All right. The first question is from Lindsay. She says, I'm a two married to a seven. We have a really tough time communicating because he can't talk because he can talk faster than I can process. And we both end up frustrated. What are some uh, good communication tips for us? I will say, and I tell this to my clients because I've tried to use it and also telling it to my clients helps me to have more confidence in using it. It works both ways. Yes, it does. It's okay to ask for time to think about something. So if he asks me, can we do X, Y, and Z or whatever, you know, I'll say like, can I have some time to think about it? Or I'll get back to you about that. And it might be, I just need five minutes. Yep. It might be that I need several days because as somebody with repressed thinking, sure. like, it takes me a long time sometimes to find an answer. Um, so that's my first tip. <laughs> and my um, first response is that most likely her seven isn't just talking faster than she can process. He thinks faster. Oh, yeah. And that's the problem. The, the problem is, for me, that sometimes Joel and Laura and I, so Laura's a three, Joel's seven, sometimes we're working on something for the future or something we might do or what about this is on the table, and they both think so fast I can't. I can't keep up. Mm-hmm. It was problematic until they recognized without me saying anything that I was struggling with that, and they both started saying, um, it, it's your ministry. This is just a suggestion. Yeah. Which kind of gave me something I needed that made it feel like it was okay for me to say, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. I think that sevens, uh, and I'm working on not doing that, you know, now that I'm trying to bring up thinking, Joel said, you know, you say, I think an awful lot. <laughs> Here's what I think about that. <laughs> so here's what I think about that is to fill the <laughs> silence that exists if I don't say that while I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's unfair to you. I was talking with my wife the other day while I was editing. Uh, we were watching the new curriculum that's coming out (laughs) soon and i hear you talk more than dad hears you talk oh yeah (laughs) and so i know and that wasn't your lifelong dream (laughs) 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 so all the speech patterns and your the Mm -hmm. things uh, yeah so anyway it's not fair to you but you know gotta gotta have some fun with it that's right so what do you think (laughs) aggressive numbers particularly use quick thinking and quit talking when they want something they're not sure you're going to want, or when they're arguing with you about something, or when they're fighting with you about something, and then you lose. If you don't give yourself space like you're suggesting, and you just try to jump in the conversation and defend what you're thinking or your side or whatever, you lose. And I wonder, because aggressive numbers, orientation of time is the future, if they just don't want to hurry up and get on to the next thing, and if it's not as manipulative as I once thought, hmm. not as intentional as I once thought. I think there's a possibility that 
and I have not given this a lot, it just popped in my head, so I'm going to share it. Mm. That for me as a seven, and I don't believe this would hold true for threes and eights, the, fur, the further in excess I go of seven, mm-hmm. that quick thing is to outrun whatever fears, you know, like you said, to push, the, push whatever through as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. and it's more fear-based. So. Well, and I think, and again, you are the seven, but I think some of it is I don't like what's happening here anymore between us. Mm-hmm. So I'm done because mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets tricky with somebody who's in repressed thinking mm-hmm. because you want more time to process and think about something. But the, the discomfort of a seven yep. is like, this is too much. I, or, you know, like too much fear, too much, you know, whatever it is. Um, I wonder, you know, I'm always looking for what's on the, both sides of the fence. And the word that y'all, neither one said that I kept waiting for you to say was feelings. <laughs> well, I just named some. I think he's feeling things that are uncomfortable. There you go. Exactly. And I'm insatiable. I start talking I, about fear. And, <laughs> and on the other side of the fence, I wonder if. I'm in control of my feelings, it, managing. If I'm managing my feelings well, if a feeling repressed person can stay in it with me a little longer. Oh, yeah. I yeah. tell yeah. my clients, and I try to do it with myself, especially if you're a dependent number in a relationship with an aggressive number. Yeah. If you come to them without, like, you've already processed your feelings. You've processed it with other people. If you come to them, then... yeah. The conversation is going to be so much better. Absolutely. More productive than if you're holding your feelings and waiting (laughs) to process them and express them with them. They're going to be like, I don't really want to do this with you. Not good. Okay. We've got a question that came in from the LTM All Day event Mm -hmm. and a question here from Chelsea that other people have said that they would like to hear also. I don't know exactly what you're saying at the moment that she asked this, but... Uh, she said, I would love to know what y'all have to say about this very subject. So I think it was around when y'all were talking about the food. With young children who are extremely picky eaters and use food as their one source of control right now. Mm-hmm. That's you. <laughs> I will just say that living outside of diet culture in this kind of intuitive eating world is very different when you're only doing it for yourself. And then when you also have to try to teach this to your children, and they have their own stuff. They're bringing their own stuff. (laughs) Um, And they have their own influences from school teaching them certain things Mm -hmm. about food, and they're already getting the messages that certain foods are bad or not bad Mm -hmm. or whatever, and you're trying to teach them this different way of eating that's not like anybody else. Right. Like, that is really hard. And our kids also have to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, I am not doing it perfectly. Like, we have conversations all the time about food and how to feed our children and what's best and what's not, etc. <clears throat> that brings up feelings. <laughs> and Joel. And, and me. 
So some just like small things to start with. If you are wanting to have um, intuitive eating as part of your home life with your family and your children, is first talking to them about how this is what we believe in our home. Other people are going to believe different things. And that's okay. Yeah, We're not saying that one way is right, one way is not, whatever. Although secretly inside, I think this is the yeah. right way. Um. <laughs> of course, we're doing this because we want the best for you. But we're not saying. <laughs> but like we talk about how you're going to hear and learn different things at school. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And we can talk about that and talk about it at home. And this is how we're going to live our life here. And the second thing is kind of the recommendation is parents choose what and when kiddos eat. They choose how much. Parent chooses what and when. The kid chooses how much. Yes. Wow. And is not acceptable? At times. That can't be all the time. Yeah. Because it is trying to teach them hunger and fullness. Sure. And just like when a baby's born, if you don't put it on a schedule, a baby knows when it's hungry yeah. and when it's yeah. full. And it's yeah. going to tell you. And it's not going to eat more than it wants. Right. And there are times where you really try to feed your kiddo, your baby, and they're like, nope, I don't want it. No, no, no. <laughs> not doing it. So we are born with this innate way of being able to know whether we're hungry and yeah. full. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we have decided you're going to eat three times a day. This is how much it's going to be. You know, you clean your plate. And that comes with a whole host of pros and cons. And one of the cons is we have lost, especially most of us adults, we have lost the ability to know when we're hungry and when we're full. We've lost the ability to listen to our bodies about things. There are so many different body cues that society tells us are okay, like when we sleep, when we're not asleep, when we go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even thirst is an okay thing. But if you're hungry and full, mm -mm, you're supposed to be in charge of that. You're supposed to tame that. But that doesn't always work well because we are fighting um, our biological knowing and our body knows when it's hungry and full. And if we listen, then we can adequately feed our bodies. Our body can even tell us what kinds of things it wants. I know, <laughs> this is what I say, like, I know that my body wants like things full of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that means, like, I want fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and things like that, and so I'll eat that for a while, and then my body's like, I want carbs. Mm-hmm. We haven't had any carbs in a while. Yeah. We need something, like, you need a lot of bread. Yeah. Warm bread. Things that make you full. Like that, so then I'll eat that. And, and it's not, like, within the span of a day. It might not even be the span of a week, but if you look at like the span of a month, you probably eat a wide variety of things if you've listened to your body, and it will be very balanced the more that you practice and practice it. Because, like I said, there's going to be days where maybe I just eat, like, fresh things, and there's days where I just eat spaghetti and meatballs or whatever. And it's because my body's saying, like, hey, this is what I need right now. Mm -hmm. And I've really learned how to do that. That doesn't just come. Yeah, yeah, we need to say that 10 times. Like that. You have to learn, 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 learn. Yeah, I asked Joel yesterday. I said, uh, our youngest grandchild is uh, a adorable little redhead. <laughs> and I said, um, uh, how's the redheaded wonder doing? 
And he said, well, she does what she wants to do, and she doesn't do what, doesn't do what she doesn't want to do, especially around food. Oh, yeah. And, I, and then he gave me the example of that she just said, nope. Yeah, she, and she doesn't throw fits. She just, I finished. <laughs> I done. I done. I done. <laughs> hey, but, there are, no, but there no. are times where she'll go days and she'll just eat everything. Mm-hmm. And then there are days where she won't eat very yeah. much at all. And that balances itself out over time. Mm-hmm. And and parents have been taught that your kids have to have this, this, and this, and this, and this every day or they're going to not be healthy and not be okay and all of that, which is... That's still hard for me when we're eating a meal and she takes one bite of something that she likes. Yeah. And she's like, I'm good. <laughs> um, so the the process of... You choose what and when. They yep. choose how much. Yep, that's that good. That helps. That's and, good. And we did it for a little while, but we haven't done it again in a while, where you can talk with your kiddos about like a rating scale of hunger and fullness. So like zero to 10. Zero is I am starving. I haven't eaten in days, like that feeling. And then 10 is I just ate three Thanksgiving dinners, mm-hmm. like that feeling mm-hmm. of fullness. And you don't ever want to get to those places because those aren't good for your body. Like neither of those places are good for your body. Like hungry for a meal is around like a two or a three and full, like satisfied is around like a seven or an eight. And so talking to your kiddos kind of about that scale and, you know, like maybe when you're at like a four or five, maybe you just want a snack or you're not really hungry, like for a full meal. And as adults, we allow ourselves that freedom sometimes just to like eat a little more than usual or eat a little less than usual. Um, and we can offer our kiddos the same thing. So, so well, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so for a while we talked to our kiddos before and after meals, like mm-hmm. what's your rating and, and all of that. And of course, there's all kinds of manipulation that goes on. With that. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm a five. I still want three scoops of ice cream. <laughs> five or, and then I'm a, I'm a 10 and you've only eaten one bite. It's uh, like, I know that's yeah. not true. Well, then when it's, I'm an eight and then 30 minutes later, I'm a two. Um, yeah. But I think that 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 is possible sometimes. Like sometimes your metabolism is just working so hard. Like mine has never gone from eight to two that fast, <laughs> guaranteed. Well, and kids go through different stages, and they're going to sure. be hungrier more than others, and there are going to be kids who just like eat a lot, and and other kids that don't eat a lot. So what does she do with the picky eater thing? Do they have to eat every food group? Like so, the the recommendation for that is that you serve them different things mm-hmm. you know like you don't make a separate meal for them you feed them everything that you're having and they have permission to not finish it but they have to eat at least three bites of everything on their plate that's good that helps. so they have to try things sure because it takes there's like research and stuff out there that sometimes it takes 20 times to try something before your palate gets used to it yeah and then then you and might you like, like it. it yeah but then after you've tried it a certain number of times and you're like no I don't. I know I don't like this. Then, then okay. Sure. Joe and I, at his request, insistence almost, said, "I want to be with our kids at a meal, and we're not going to do it in the mornings. So we're going to eat together at night." Mm-hmm. And we, he he would schedule meetings so that we ate together. We worked around. You know, sometimes we ate late because this kid had a ball game at this time, this went this time, this went this time. But we ate together almost every night. 
so much good happened. Oh, yeah. So much good happened at our table that I, looking back, figured out that when we were still doing Thanksgiving and Christmas and having everybody at our house and all that, I was really trying to get people to have more, like I would offer my son-in-law's seconds, or and I would say, come on, you know you want some more. I made this especially for, for you. you. Yeah. <laughs> all that nonsense. All that guilt. Yes. That all but, works on me. But you know I'm what out. I was doing? I was trying to keep them at the table because we were talking about things and people weren't distracted, and it was socially satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I don't think we need to try to answer this because I'm sure the answer is different for everybody. But I, I had to find alternatives for how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as a member of our family, the alternative we figured was we're going to have appetizers. And we're going to ask everybody to bring an appetizer because people come and go at that table. And if you watch me, I just sit there. Mm-hmm. And then I get to be with everybody who comes by to get all that. And I get to talk to them one-on-one. There are 18 of us. I don't get that chance any other time. So, yeah, that's all I've got about that. You got questions. Yeah, I know. I think think y'all are doing great. Oh, thank you. That is what I think. A two who's been through a hospice program and lost 80 pounds. Now very manipulated by scales uh, because they can't gain the weight back because of back issues. Mm-hmm. Any advice? I'm curious what she means that she's manipulated by scales. Um, I, I know. I, um, the first thing that comes to me is that a lot of people really put a lot of stock in what the scale says and what that means about them and, and all of that. And you don't honestly need to weigh yourself very often. Um, and it's good that if you do have that kind of, um, unhealthy relationship with your scale to try to break that, there are people that weigh themselves every day and that's, what is that giving you? (laughs) What is that doing for you? Is it making you feel bad every day? Are your emotions determined by what the scale says every day? So, um, can I take a five-minute break and y'all just keep talking? Because Dad and I had this conversation this morning. Like, I'm kidding about the break. But okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. What are we doing here? <laughs> so, this morning, this morning, um, I'm on a medication that causes water mm-hmm. weight gain. Mm-hmm. And we switched it, hoping that it would fix it. Mm-hmm. And it did and in eight days I lost five pounds mm-hmm. and then it leveled out and now I've gained them back mm. so I said to Joe this morning will you go look up whether or not we're supposed to weigh every day <laughs> because it makes me feel bad it felt great every day and now it feels bad every day mm-hmm. and Joe said you you don't look any different to me like I don't I don't know what we're talking about here we didn't have a scale till about Nine, three years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Didn't have one in our house. And it's maybe she means that she's checking every day to see if she gained weight or after every meal 
Is that what scale, what'd she call it? She feels manipulated by the scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the only thing I would say is it is an inanimate object. It can't manipulate you unless you let it. Your relationship right? with yeah. it is manipulating you. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And your beliefs about what it me- the number on the scale means. Um, so see all that language difference? That's gold. People don't know that. I'm, people don't know that. It's like you live in a world where people know how to use that all that language appropriately. And it's it is healing in itself. So I was just gonna say there are times for medical reasons mm-hmm. where you might need to weigh yourself at yeah. certain periods. And so that takes precedent sometimes per your doctor's recommendation. And y'all can talk about what kind of relationship you have with the scale and I think we'll probably keep ours, and but I don't think we need to weigh every day. Hmm. Yeah. And it would be interesting for me to just keep a journal in there for a while, like two weeks, weigh every day, and write down exact the first thing that comes to me when I get off scales. Because, you know, I don't know what that's about. I'm 70 years old. I don't want to weigh every day. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to. I'm, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you have permission to not You know, that. if it's there on the floor, you kind of feel like you do need mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a four, and shame can be debilitating when I feel like I've gained too much weight. Mm -hmm. Shame never feels motivating, and I can get stuck in it. There's not really a question there. I just felt like it needed to be addressed. Yeah. Here's my weight story. I weighed a certain weight when I was a junior in high school. I was a foreign exchange student. I was sexually abused while I was there. I gained uh, a lot of weight during the time that I was there. And I came home and I never lost it. And I gained eight pounds with each of my four children. And I have weighed the same for all. So essentially, uh, adding eight pounds with each child that I didn't lose, I've weighed the same since I was 17. Hmm. So my... Doc, who delivered all the babies, um, said something to me about my weight my first visit. He and I together over a year and a half figured out what happened to me uh, based on physical evidence. And he wrote in my chart, uh, never ask her to weigh and never ask her about her weight. Mm -hmm. This is what she weighs. Mm -hmm. You just gave me cards Mm -hmm. that say... Please, please don't, don't weigh, weigh me. me. Uh, I practiced trying to say, please don't weigh me. And in my tunis, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Felt like I was breaking the rules or something. I can sure hand out those cards. Mm-hmm. It's like, here you go. <laughs> she said, well, I've never seen one of these. I said, I have several. So the next person who struggles to tell you they don't want you to weigh them, why don't you keep this in your pocket and give it to them? Yeah. And I... My doc, Dr. Lieb, said all those years ago that I was healthy because I stayed the same weight, essentially. That I didn't do a lot of dieting that didn't get me anywhere. And then I would gain it back and lose it and gain it back and all that. And I don't know if that's okay. I don't know anything about that. But I know this. Docs don't bug me about my weight. And Dr. Lieb had colon cancer and died. And he left a note in my chart. 
for the doc that I mm-hmm. was going to go to, who I still go to, mm-hmm. that said, don't hassle her about her weight. She has a story that goes with that. She shouldn't have to tell it to you. Mm-hmm. Don't hassle her. Yeah. All of that, like I feel teary about that. All of that gives me permission to be okay. Oh, yeah. And to not have to tell stories I don't want to tell to people who haven't earned the right to hear them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that I don't, I'm preaching, but I, I don't even know if all that's okay. So now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of talked a little bit about trauma and your, yeah. and your body and how sometimes your, your body um, image is kind of reflect. I don't know if reflective is the right word, but there are a lot of clients that no matter what their body size there's something about staying in this place that's unhealthy for them because it feels safe to them mm-hmm. um, for trauma reasons. Mm-hmm. And so trying to tell them that they're still going to be okay if their body is not this size, mm-hmm. it, they're like, nope, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want to go there. Yeah. And so it, it is a process of showing them that they can be safe at a different body sure, size, whether, sure. you know, and, and I'm talking about gaining weight and if they lose weight through a process or whatever. Um, and your body is allowed to be however it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And your body through, um, your own nutrition journey, life journey, etc. It's going to change throughout life. One of the, kind of different affirmations that I give my clients is your body is always in flux throughout life. Mm-hmm. It's never static right. from the time you're born to the time you're dying. Right. Your body is constantly changing, but we've been given this idea that once we turn 18, 20, yep. especially women, we're supposed to stay there. Yep. We're never supposed to gain weight. We're always supposed to have this 18-year-old body or whatever. We're supposed to, after we have babies, we're supposed to go mm-hmm. right back there. Yep. When we're 60, we need to be back yep. there, and we need to have no wrinkles. no wrinkles and hair, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's just bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no, like, you are going to be fighting against your body and at war with your body all of your life mm-hmm. if that's what you're playing into. Yeah. And what if you just decided to have a treaty with your body? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be at war with you anymore. anymore. But I'm going to I'm going to be listening now. All right, now how many people do you think hear you say, "What if you just had a treaty and said you're not going to be at war with your body anymore?" How many people do you think walk away from that saying, I bet if I do that, I'll lose weight. Or I bet if I do that, I'll gain weight. Like All of them. Right? Exactly. They're like, I'm not doing that. That sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Or it sounds like a solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like, I would hear it as it sounds like a solution, but it's very scary and terrifying. Yes. If I let go of the rules. Control. Yeah. Yep. And just allow my body to be however it wants Mm -hmm. and needs to be here in this moment. You're going to feel a lot of things. Yeah, it's it, it's a big, big thing. It's a very big conversation, and it we sh- we just need to do this on a semi regular basis. <laughs> we do because 
you can't hear this once and go, oh, I've got it. You know, another thing, too, that plays into my life, and we have quite a few people who ask us questions about adoption and all that. I have no idea what my genetic mm-hmm. background is, no idea at all. And that could explain nothing, and it could explain so much. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not available to me, so I don't know. Yeah. Just don't know. Ashley asks, my mom, dad, and half-brother are all ones. I'm a nine. Oh, man. I feel very outnumbered. <laughs> Any tips for navigating how I interact with them and how they can better interact with me? You well, first of that? all, you are outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And the biggest tip is that you don't see the same way they do. You don't see the same way they do. You don't see what they say. You don't walk in, see, you don't walk into a room and see what they see and then process it in the way that they process it. And so you have to use language that has to do with how you see, what you see. And you got to make a rule, uh, have an agreement. You need to have an agreement that they will not be patronizing with you about that. Mm. You didn't see that? You're telling me that you didn't see that? That's what that's like. I think the best thing you could say to them is, would you be willing to be curious about what I think and what I see? So could you start conversations with me sometimes with asking me, what I think we should do or what I see or what I'm feeling or, and then make room for that to be how we proceed. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I would say is you need, well, I'm sure it's not the only other thing because it never is. Another thing I would say is um, you need to negotiate that your room is your room and that you, they have very little say over the private living space that you have in your home, assuming that you have that. Mm -hmm. If you're an adult and uh, the three visit you at your home, they don't get to say anything about how you... They don't get to say anything. Going back to something that we (laughs) talked about earlier in this conversation, uh, Carrie says, I'm a seven married to a one. He asks for time to think, but it becomes indefinite. How do I give space, but also not feel like it's going to be left hanging? That it becomes indefinite. So she's the seven? Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is the seven that was in our cohort. I always tell people that if you're having this kind of issue, that they have to give you a time when they're going to come back. Me too. It's like, I'm going to take, like, I'll come back to you on Tuesday about this. Or I'll come back in an hour or whatever. It it is a somewhat of an avoidance. Yeah. If they never come back. Um and you don't want to avoid whatever conflict or conversation it is. You want to be able to come together and move through it. Yep. And don't uh my other piece would be don't hound them about are you ready yet? Mm-hmm. If Let them the time come that to you the set time. Yeah. is Tuesday, then you wait till Tuesday. Yeah. If they want to come sooner, okay. But otherwise, you wait till Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Do you have any? <laughs> As a seven married to a one? I don't think this is a 
good metaphor or anything. But I immediately started thinking about that puzzle that you had out. <laughs> where I was like, this puzzle needs to be put, like, mm-hmm. either put it together or it needs to go. Away. It has been out for so long. Well, like, the and edges like, were well, done. Well, we're here at this middle. point. And I was like, so then I said, I was like, when, when is the puzzle going to be done? <laughs> so, like I said, it's not, that's our relationship. Yeah, well, this is the thing. When you... <laughs> <laughs> want to put a puzzle together because it's Christmas break. Right. And you want some time just to like sit and do it. That is a fantasy when you have four children who are com- constantly coming and going it is. throughout your house. And they sometimes want to do it. And then you, you know, one of those four children is a toddler who's just like constantly in your lap. It, I had good intentions of getting it done. Yeah. And. Well, here's the opposite extreme of that. We've always had a puzzle at holiday time. And so Dad and I, the last few years, started putting together a puzzle. But, you know, we can't stand it. We have we both have a one wing, and it's very strong. So we don't really have any fun because we have to hurry up and get it done so we can put it away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a range of everything. Mm-hmm. I think someone asked a question earlier, speaking of you and the Reverend both having big one, having big one wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm so sorry that I've, I've lost where this question is for if the person who asked it is listening. But they talked about their parents having big wings and it affecting them. Is there is there something to that? Like I said, forgot your question. Can't find it. Y'all used to say when you first learned the Enneagram that having dad and me both have significant one wings was the same as having a parent who's a one. The thing that I think we have to put out for consideration is that all of that is the assumption is based on the assumption that for every one on the Enneagram order and everything being in its place is part of their agenda and that's what affects their children and that's not true for everyone on the Enneagram every Enneagram one on the Enneagram. And so I do think the fact that Joe and I both have significant one wings, along with the fact that we lived in parsonages when the children were little, most of them were too small, all of them were too small, and we were trying to live in other people's space and raise our children there. There are all these other things that play into the kind of order that we tried to have and that we required, but Joe and I are very comfortable with that. So it's a long way of saying I think it is true that it could affect their children. I don't... I would have to think through all the numbers to think I feel sure that different numbers would have a stronger, would be more impressionable than mm-hmm. other numbers. I will say that uh, we had a recent conversation, or we've had this conversation several times, <laughs> but our most recent one was that I told Joel that he's more of a one than I am, like mm-hmm. especially with our home life, and he told me <laughs> that I'm the worst one he's ever, ever met. met. <laughs> And then, you know what I did with that? What? I took that as a compliment that I've done so much work. So much work that you're healthy. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. You got catfished. <laughs> oh, I'm an Enneagram one. Yes. Let me get this one. I think it could easily be an excuse. My parents both have a one wing, a seven wing, a nine wing. I think it would be an excuse on either side for the person that asked us and for the parents. And it would have to be a significant wing along with some reason for that. Mm. So four littles is not, in random groups, by the way, (laughs) is not uh, conducive to the kind of order that Joe and I had in parsonages with me staying home. You know, it's just, there's so many factors. The Enneagram is never the only factor. Never. I can't think of anything in our culture in the West. I don't know if it's true everywhere. Mm -hmm. That involves more judgment Mm. than body size. There's a lot of judgment around it. It has come to the point where when we see someone, we automatically have a stereotype about what it means about that person that they're that size. And I want to say that things are better. My department, I wear plus size, and my department literally in stores like Dillard's and Macy's and those places used to be by the appliances. Mm-hmm. And they might have three or four rounders of clothes. That hasn't been true for probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. Plus size has its own department in stores now. Mm-hmm. I have just come across uh, online um, a brand that has every style in every size, mm-hmm. which feels so much less shaming than that's so cute they won't have it in my size or, you know, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. And I saw a um, commercial yesterday that had, it's brand new, uh, on TV, that had five women or six, all different sizes, all at the same time, walking toward a fountain, I think, to advertise something. And they, they weren't dressed alike. They were all dressed differently, but they were dressed somewhat scantily. Mm. And I asked Joe to back it up and pause it. I think we need permission to be in the body that we're in and to love it. Mm-hmm. And... In coming into our family, you have given me that. And I'm really grateful. You're welcome. Because it's a game changer Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. You wear it like it's part of who you are. So it's a little bit here and a little bit there. And I just wish everybody had that. Yeah. I think the thing that people assume is that if they work on the relationship with their body, it's going to only be about how they look, like being okay with how they look. But working on your relationship with your body affects all areas of your life. And I even talk about 
people's relationships with their body, even if they haven't come to me for body image work, <laughs> just because like it, there's so much going on and going through your body yeah, yeah. that if you are able to show kindness yeah. to your body and care and, and care not being like that you're going to feed it the right things and exercise or whatever, but mm-hmm. like that you'll give it rest yeah. and that you'll do the nice things for it. And like that there's so much that's going to happen that will change yeah. in your life if you work on your relationship with your body. Joe has told me that I'm beautiful from the day, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm, for about the last five or six years, I think I'm starting to believe him. It feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I want that for everybody, too. I want everybody to get to feel beautiful. Yeah. Thank you all so much, and thank you all. Oh, we got the applause sounder. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I, I heard it the other day for the first time. I've known that it's happening, but I didn't get to hear it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, y'all have a great day. And I love both of you. We love you. For those of you still listening, my mom did not reply. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you.